From Five Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Peter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Bear Podcast. And lest you think all we do is record this podcast, dear listener, I want to let you know that we are actually, while you are hearing this on January 3rd, we are recording this podcast early pre-holidays because uh, we're going to take a fucking break. Uh, so <laughs> um, while the predictions apply to the rest of the year, we obviously are recording this early. So if things do develop in the next week and a half or so, uh, between the sort of Christmas, New Year's Eve time. Uh, don't hold that against us, okay? Because yeah, we recorded it early, all right? <laughs> okay, thanks. Awesome. Uh, Zach Joanna, what's going on? Just, uh, you know, getting ready getting ready for this holiday season unlike any other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man. I just canceled I my vacation. Yeah. <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely feeling wild out there. Uh, but you know, at the same time, like I will say this, like I, I am very, uh, aware of the fact that for lots of people, it's like a huge bummer, or at least they're, they're put in a very, very difficult position and, or we're put in a difficult position. And that's really, really sucks. I mean, it's no fun for anyone to have to make those choices and to have Mm -hmm. to continue to do it after, you know, nearly two years of continuing to make difficult choices and figuring out where you fall. That's rough. I will say that on the flip side though. One thing that to me is kind of like a a slight positive about this is like because it's a quieter time generally like as you mentioned we're taking breaks a lot of people are taking breaks like I think there's the possibility to have a little bit of fun at home um like I think there's a lot of people who are who have or will be dusting off like you know some of those recipes that have been on the shelf since May of 2020 or like the they might bake bread over the holidays again. or <laughs> yes all the again. things they did Again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I'm yeah. weird, it's almost like a little bit of nostalgia for that early COVID period, right? Is like it? you're like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. For me, there's a tiny bit. Like it was such a, it was so, um, it was so small in its way, right? Like my world, my world was so small, um, and then it got kind of big again, and now it's getting very small again. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's going to be less and i mean if there was any sympathy still for unvaccinated people there will be less and less post this lockdown or whatever it is we're going through just even talking to my you know friends who are in the medical profession who are restaurateurs who are bar owners etc um you know there is a little bit of a feeling that like a lot of this could have been a lot uh, i guess less worse than it is Mm-hmm. If we had just, you know, up those numbers, everyone gotten boosted when they were eligible, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think I would be prepared in, in 2022 to have have people who are a little bit stricter on removing privileges from those kinds of people. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, while this is what, uh, you know, pandemics do, right, they, they don't just end all of a sudden, which is so funny that we keep acting like they were going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they continue to t- kind of have waves that – hopefully are less and less severe, but potentially more and more contagious. Um, You know, people also become less hospitable to those who, you know, don't seem to really be caring about what what everyone else is going through. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, out of this one. There'll be definitely, as you said, hard choices that will be made. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the people have very different perspectives than they did after the first time they had to make those hard choices, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. 100%. yeah, so before we get into predictions, all of that kind of was one. Um, what have you guys been drinking or what are you planning to drink 
What are you excited about drinking over the holiday season? Well, I can tell you what I've I've had lately. Nice. I don't know what I'm drinking yet. Can't think that <laughs> far ahead, to be honest with you. Um, so I was I was at the store uh, the other day, and I was looking for a very specific Belgian beer um, okay. that I was unable to find. I was looking for Still Knocked, which is a uh, from De Dole Brewery um, in Belgium, and. Uh, I wasn't able to find it. It's a Christmas Eve beer. We have a piece on the site mm. about it from Aaron Goldfarb. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I came home with Chimay Grand Reserve, which is the blue one, uh, some Cezanne Dupont. Um, so those were great, as always. And I also uh, picked up a beer at the office that was in the refrigerator. Um, oh, what was it? <laughs> Fort Point Beer Co. Manzanita. Um, How was a, it? It was good. It's a smoked beer. So it's a very, very specific style of beer that, if you're not a fan, could quickly uh, taste like smoked salmon, which is what Evan, Evan likes to say. Um, so, so I had that, um, and and those were all really great. That's what I had this weekend. Very cool. I like some of their beers. Actually, four points. They're cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. What about you? Uh, what about you, Zach? Let's see here. Well, I would say that the thing that I'm most looking forward to drinking over the holidays, um, I guess I, I playing into our last episode, I have picked up some bottles of champagne that uh, Caitlin and I will be having. We have our, our over this time period, uh, our we have our anniversary or we kind of have two anniversaries because we got legally married and then had a big mar- a big wedding on separate dates. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also my birthday, which the rest of you might know is New Year's Eve. So um, probably mm-hmm. both of those will be champagne occasions for us. Um, and one of my favorites is a wine that's a very strange champagne uh, by a producer called Jean Vasselle. And it's the uh, Wilde de Perdrix, which is like the eye of the partridge. Mm-hmm. And it's a um, like a direct press. So in other words, they don't – it's a rosé champagne of sorts, but it's made unlike most champagnes. There's no blending and there's no saunier or bleeding off of juice. Mm-hmm. It's just all sort of it's, – it's made almost like a, we would think of a lot of um, still rosés being made, but then it's obviously taken through the champagne method. And I just really love that wine. It's very – it's very food friendly. It's it's interesting. It's kind of almost more orangey in color than um, mm-hmm. pink because of the aging, um, and it's just delicious. So uh, I got a, actually two bottles of that. Uh, I don't know if we'll drink both of them, but it's always nice to have a backup. Um, <laughs> and then I think the only other thing that I'm really looking forward to um, making is um, I've been sort of trying to uh, to perfect, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast. My my eggnog recipe, and we've we've definitely discussed yes, eggnog have, before, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, you know, I've kind of haven't done it this year because one of the yet, which is one of the problems with this time of year and this year, which is like you do kind of want people around to drink eggnog. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I don't it's it my recipe that I have doesn't like doesn't make a ton of it, but it makes more than my wife and I are likely to drink in a reasonable span of time. Um, but I'm going to just take the plunge one of these next few days because at some point, like, I need to have some some eggnog. My wife is willing to tolerate the store-bought eggnog. I am not. Um, and so, yeah, I will be playing around a little bit with that. Um, I got some interesting uh, rum that I'm going to try in there because I like to use a few different spirits, um, as I think we've discussed on the podcast, too. I think it's, it's a better cocktail or drink with a mix of rum, brandy, and whiskey than any one of those by itself. So that's kind of what I got. You can always always age it, right? Yeah. So I did this this last year. So I aged some, um, and it was really interesting after about a month or two. um, I left some in the fridge for six months, and by six months, mine had like definitely turned a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that's a (laughs) fridge issue or how I stored it, but... I don't think Aaron's 
turns. But yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that it. But that's why I was always suspect of it because I feel like it <laughs> it could, right? Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> maybe I didn't use enough booze. Like, I think at some yeah. point, yeah. if you put enough alcohol in there, it will definitely be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely interesting after a couple of months. The the notion that it smooths out is I was very much borne out by my experience, and I think that it's definitely. But but at the same time, there's something about the like the way the freshly made eggnog tastes that's like, even if it's a little bit more in your face, I kind of prefer it, I think. Mm. Um, like, I'm not necessarily looking for a velvety smooth cocktail. Like, I kind of mm. want something that's got, you know, you want to kind of like taste like the the nutmeg and you really want to like get some of the intensity from the booze as opposed to it being like one velvety harmonious thing, which is, of course, also tasty, but I found to be kind of not worth the the fridge space, frankly. Mm. What about you, Adam? What do you, what do you drink in? What you got planned? Well, first of all, it's another year. And I still yeah. have never had eggnog. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you? Still can't get over it as a, as a beverage. I'm okay with it. But I'm glad people like yourself and Aaron and others are very passionate about it. Uh, it appealed to me. Um, so, <laughs> so let me see. Well, first of all, I have to say this. I finally had that bottle of Pursued by Bear Baby Bear. Oh, flashback oh, yeah. to, the, to a live podcast. My God. Yeah, at the beginning of COVID a long time ago, uh, Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin's wine. Um, it was really, really delicious. I sous vide a steak on Saturday night and had it along with that, and it was just a perfect combination. Really beautiful wine. Um, yes, I'm very glad I finally opened the bottle. So That's that amazing. was awesome. Yeah, it was really great. Um, and yeah, besides that, kind of... I don't know, playing around with a few cocktails. I was before canceling my vacation uh, in, the, in the middle of like organizing what wines I was going to bring with me to Canada. Uh, that's not happening anymore since Quebec shutting down everything. Um, so I don't know. I'm trying to figure out sort of what the next week and a half entails. Like, will I maybe rent a last minute Airbnb in the middle of nowhere and hope that I can stay away from Omicron? I'm not sure. Um, mm. Will we kick it here? Not really sure. I mean, I think part of staying in new york is like what are you doing around new year's eve like we're not big new year's eve people but like are we you know are you doing a dinner like clearly not going out to eat um mm-hmm. so trying to figure all that stuff out so so we'll see but the that wine was definitely the highlight of my last like week i think really really delicious nice yeah so predictions for 2022 um i'm gonna start because okay. I teased one last week, if you remember when I said it, Zach, <laughs> I was going to answer your question. Yes. As we're, to all, why. we're all waiting to hear what you yeah. yeah. So I really think very strongly, there's a lot of signs that point to this. And Joanna already knows what I'm going to say because I wrote it too. Um, but I think that this 2022 is very much going to be what we're going to look back on and say it was the year of flavor or the beginning mm. of the, you know. So basically, um, there's a lot of things happening here, right? So we're seeing what happened sort of in the food world almost a decade ago when it started really ramping come into drinks pretty heavily. And so what I mean by that is like you saw Doritos Locos tacos and you saw lots of sort of, I don't want to say gimmicks, but people taking flavors that were popular and, and combining them with other foods that are popular to make even more popular foods. And that's definitely happening in the drink space. And it seems that consumers don't really care what the liquid base is. They're, they're really looking for flavor. And there's a bunch of companies that are really good at this. Uh, 
you know, obviously Boston Beer Company, which truly has become really well known for their flavor innovations. Uh, you have what Gallo's doing, not just with High Noon, but then also, I mean, they did do the the Oreo wine. I think they're going to play with flavor a lot. You have what's happening at LVMH. So everyone who now runs the Moet Hennessy side of, uh, you know, the, so the, the the liquid business in the U.S., all the top executives have now just come over from Pepsi. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that there's there's just a lot to sort of, you know, give us the signals that flavor is going to be a huge thing in beverage this coming year. Now, that's not to say that like that's going to be appeal to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about this as, oh, hey, you know, craft cocktail bars are all going to start stocking peanut butter whiskey. But I think in a large portion of the country, it's going to be huge. And these are – and you're going to see brands that don't even exist yet that are either brand extensions or are new brands that are flavored like fried chicken or whatever you want to say that become really, really big in parts of the country. And people like us are going to say, Oh, I didn't even know about this. Or, you know, we're, we're not even going to really be aware of it because it's, it's going to go for a very different drinking public, but it's going to, these brands are going to be massive. Hmm. Interesting. I kind of have one that, that spins off of yours or is kind of related to yours, Adam. And I think, we're going to see a lot more botanical forward beverages mm-hmm. and, and brands really relying on botanicals as a word. And we saw that some already, um, like there's Kettle One Botanicals and Belvedere's whole line, right? But I think that beyond just gin, um, we're going to see, even if it's non-alcoholic beverages as well, but brands really leaning on like botanicals in their marketing and in their flavors as well. I could definitely yes. see that. I mean, I think I, I want to ask you actually a question, Adam, real quick about your prediction. Um, just going back for a moment, when when you talk about flavors, do you do you see it? I mean, I think both of these are are going to be true, but I'm wondering if you see more of the like what we talked about in the last uh, Monday episode about kind of things that we might <laughs> consider gimmicks in terms mm-hmm. of like like mm-hmm. barefoot X Oreo yeah. or whatever, right? Or where where the flavor where both the base liquid brand and the flavor brand are recognizable and it's like maybe you're getting you know dr pepper whiskey or whatever thing right or are you talking more like are you yeah well you know (laughs) i did love dr pepper as a youth um (laughs) and whiskey as an adult so there you go um or are you talking more like what you said like fried chicken vodka or something like like, because i think I'm kind of those are kind both. of different. Okay. Yeah, it seems like so you're I'm, saying both. I'm saying both. So I'm basically saying it's it's either so it's either brand flavors that you know really well. So okay. I think it's it's actually the same thing, right? It's popular it's it's flavors that are popular in American culture. The Oreo is a very popular cookie and it is kind of its own flavor. Mm-hmm. Right? So same with Dr. Pepper, which was a great, you know, example that you gave there because it it is a very distinct soda. Right. But I also do think you're going to see the explosion. So we're already seeing this, right? The explosion of lemon. I think that will be even bigger this year. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, other things like that. Maybe we move into the grapefruit realm and and really like full flavored grapefruit type stuff. Maybe, you know, I don't think we're going to go back to totally like the age of flavored vodka where it's like birthday cake and donut. But who knows? Mm -hmm. I do think that people are going to look for things that are aggressively flavored. So you know, really in your face where you totally taste it. It's not a nuanced thing. That's what it seems like when you look at the explosion of seltzer, the seltzers that have become the most successful are the ones whose flavors are really, really prominent. And so I'm wondering we're not if I can ask one line. more question yeah. on here. Like, do you think that it will be more successful with something like 
because you said not flavored vodkas, which is interesting, but I wonder if there's a way in which those really assertive flavors in seltzer work because there is no kind of like underlying seltzer flavor, yeah. right? Like all you're getting is the flavor. And and so to come back to my presumably hypothetical Dr. Pepper whiskey, like I think if you look at some of what we're seeing is is a proliferation of flavored spirits and other drinks, even in categories where the underlying you know liquid has its own distinctive flavor exactly you know whiskey tequila wine whatever we're seeing more and more of that i mean i guess with wine you could sort of look at like the bourbon barrel aged wines as being kind of like your first forays into this realm i'm just curious if like you are going to see people being like because i think you know the the last wave of this with flavored vodka the, the notion was like you needed essentially a blank canvas to put the flavor on and i wonder if you're going to see brands be like fuck it we can put you know flaming hot cheetos with you know, rum. I don't care. Like, right. like it I, good. I almost wonder if you'll see if you'll see like, yeah, you know, the 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 aforementioned flaming hot Cheeto line of every kind of spirit, right? Yeah, like it won't. You can get your flaming hot Cheeto tequila or your flaming hot Cheeto, you know, Akavit if you want. Well, I think you have your answer, and your answer is what you know we drank together, which is peanut butter whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be. I think there will be lots of stuff like that where the flavor matches really well with the the liquid so yeah i don't think you're gonna have a lot of like hey we're looking for confectionary's take on vodka right where like you don't even know it's vodka it literally tastes like liquid donuts what you're gonna have instead is potentially it's donut whiskey so like the donut plays well with the whiskey Mm. like the donut flavoring plays well with the whiskey and it's it's like a whole kind of thing together and i think the rtds are gonna start to blur this even more yeah Mm -hmm. right so like all the stuff that's being canned will now taste like certain things where you you have the spirit coming through but it's that flavor that really strong flavor on top of it so yeah i could you know already we know there's a whole you know host of people across the country especially in the southern united states who when they tailgate mix dr pepper with whiskey so that's already a flavor combination that's very well accepted. You could see that very quickly. The, the idea that Monster is making their own beverages currently, right? Like, I think that's what's going to happen, and it's going to be mm-hmm. really, really interesting to watch. Okay, I'm going to change gears a little bit with a prediction yeah. here because it's still kind of large scale, but it's in a different category. So, I think we did a podcast a few months ago about consolidation in the wine industry, and and in that talked a little bit about kind of why there were a lot of trends and forces that were kind of pushing it. And I think what we've seen over the last quarter of the year has only kind of furthered my belief that, that 2021 was just a a sort of warm up for what we're going to see in 2022. I think you're going to see further consolidation. And in particular, I think you're going to see an acceleration of the sales to these larger wine companies of legacy wine brands or legacy wineries. So, you know, we saw uh, relatively recently Frank Family Wines in Napa mm-hmm. um, sell to God. Now I'm blanking. Constant? No, Did they sell the Constellation. You would know better than I would, Adam. I think. Um, I actually don't remember. I have to look it up. Hold on. Yeah, but whoever they sold to, it's almost irrelevant because it's just one of the large, uh, you know, one of the very large beverage companies. And I think you're going to see a ton of people um, who are maybe in in this category who have a well established winery. They themselves are getting to an age where retirement is looking more and more appealing or they don't want to be dealing with the winery. And frankly, like, oh, Treasury. Okay, that makes sense. Which Um, is surprising, actually. I think everyone's surprised about it since Treasury's been struggling. But okay. Yeah. Um, Well, maybe this is their their play. In any case, the point is, I think you're going to see more and more wineries in in the Western U.S., California especially, but not exclusively, who are basically saying there's just – it's too hard. The risks are too high. Mm -hmm. I can't get insurance for fires. The cost of labor is – out of you know is, is going up i i just i, I want out right and and 
there may be some of those wineries where there's a plan of succession. There's a there's you know kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or whomever to take over the winery. But I think one thing we've seen in American wine is that there are not as many second generation winemakers as first generation winemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not the same culture here. And I just think you're going to see more and more of this as you know. Just we look at you know multiple years of instability, uncertainty, both between COVID, climate politics, et cetera. And just a lot of these people being like, you know what? Give me the give me the check. I want out. Like I just don't want to do it. And these big wine brands and companies have the, you know, the deep pockets enough to take the risks on a brand on a single winery as a part of a larger portfolio in a way that even a well-heeled Napa Valley wine owner might just not want to they you know, they may not want to have that on their balance sheet anymore. Right. No, I think I think you could be completely correct here. I think there's it's really possible that um, you know a lot of these wineries just say like let's 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 be gone let's do it let's mm-hmm. sell you know I I really think it's I mean and with the I mean we talked about this last year a little bit right Zach I mean I know we talked about this before I can't yes. I think it was in last year's prediction episode too like there just still is so much money in the market and it's it's being sort of concentrated at the top that I could see certain people just saying okay this this feels like the right time let's go ahead and. Well, and you're seeing, I mean, you're seeing this in a lot of other industries. I feel like weirdly you're seeing it a lot with um, professional athletics, but where like basically you have like hedge funds and stuff coming in and buying out these various businesses and basically saying, I mean, either, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of do, you know, private equity stuff to it to try and, you know, get profit out. Or in a lot of these cases, like I said, I think it just would be about distributing the risk, right? You know, wine is both a a very lucrative field in certain ways, but it's also, there's a lot of risks uh, year to year. And if you can, as a larger company, sort of smooth over those risks with investments in different regions or different price points, or just all kinds of other, you know, parts of your business, that makes a lot more sense for what is appearing to be a more risky proposition than it ever has before. Right. I agree. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's really spot on. Um, Really, really interesting. Um, (laughs) Joanne, what about you? Um, so this is, uh, this is another prediction. I feel like we've kind of, uh, talked, uh, talked a little bit about on the podcast before, but I think we'll definitely see more alternative packaging next year. Um, as producers, you know, if, if canning continues to be an issue, definitely, but I think, um, more, more and more producers are going to be pivoting to other options. Like we've seen pouches coming out now and even maybe Tetra packs, uh, Tetra pack cartons, um, in wine, especially lighter weight glass bottles, boxes, and other alternatives. Um, you know, these are just as, as consumers are more and more concerned about sustainability, and they're more conscious about what they're buying. I think, I think that this is definitely something brands are going to invest a lot of resources in exploring next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's really, really interesting. I have two um, quick things on this. One is, have either I just I just heard a term for the first time that made me laugh and also cringe, which is, have either of you yet heard the term bagnum? No, no. <laughs> so it's I, don't, par- I don't know if I like it that a, term. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's apparently a a one point five liter bag of wine that's like it's like a you know it's like a big pouch, right? Um, so it doesn't come in a box. Um, yeah, you just that buy was a new it, like, one to in me. a bag, like milk in Canada. I guess, yeah. That's I don't know if it has like a. No wonder Canada. I don't know if you like poke a hole or whatever. <laughs> but yes, uh, a friend who runs a retail shop recently was just like, "Hey, <laughs> well, I mean, she, she said they sell pretty well, so really? I, I gotta say, yeah. I mean, I think they're kind of like." you know, outdoor party, like we're going to go hiking and take a bagnum of wine. God, saying that word feels wrong. <laughs> uh, 
So sustainable though, right? Yeah. Well, and this actually ties into one of my predictions, which is I think we are going to see a huge reckoning in 2022 around sustainability in beverage alcohol Mm -hmm. broadly and wine in particular. And a lot of it is going to be about what you just mentioned, which is the sort of really dirty secret in wine, which is like bottles are not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's lots of parts of the country, including frankly, New York City, where bottles basically aren't recycled, um, no matter what we think, uh, or at least not at scale. And they're heavy as fuck. They're really uh, energy intensive to ship around. Their mm-hmm. production is pretty energy intensive. And frankly, like there's going to be a point where I think a lot of us, uh, uh, you know, individual consumers, producers, you know, uh, media members, et cetera, are going to have to decide like, okay, great. It's cool that a winery is sustainable in the vineyard, but if everything else they do is deeply unsustainable, is it really worth, like, are we just kind of being, putting our heads in the sand about sustainability when we just tout vineyard practices? It's mm-hmm. not to say that being sustainable in the vineyard isn't meaningful. It certainly is, or that it's easy. It certainly is not in a lot of cases, but it can't be the only thing that, the only part of the endeavor that is sustainable. Um, and that's something I think we've tried to talk about on the podcast for sure. And mm-hmm. I think it's just in 2022, I think you're going to see more and more people look at this, whether it's because of um, some of the supply chain issues that are going to force the hand on a lot of things or just a, a growing recognition of like, we can't only look at one piece of this, you know, kind of lifespan of a of a wine or spirit or whatever and consider that sufficient. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's coming in 2022 as well. Yeah. I definitely think you're right there. I mean, I also obviously think that this this in 2022 we will continue to have sort of a reckoning in terms of uh, you know what is what is happening with uh, diversity and inclusion in this mm-hmm. in, in the entire industry. I think you know we're we're all leaving 2021 pretty unfulfilled. Uh, you know, we have the Court of Master Sommeliers, as we've talked about before, that really just didn't do much. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I think that there's uh, going to be a lot more sort of pushback in 22 about that. Uh, I think also we haven't been able to push back as hard because in 2021, everyone was just like really happy to be open again and sort of, you know, m- moving forward at all. But I think, yeah. you know, as we hopefully get through this pandemic, um, you know, there will be more people who start to sort of speak up and say, hey, like, we don't really need this anymore. We're going to, you know, there'll be more abandoning of the court. Uh, I think there'll be people who are speaking out, you know, more on the beer side, et cetera, to really push for a lot of this stuff to to stop. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to highlight one thing in here that you mentioned, Adam, which is that one area where I would love to see more just kind of attention paid and accountability paid in terms of diversity, inclusion, and in particular sort of really malignant practices involving, you know, sexual harassment and abuses in the sort of hidden Mm -hmm. part of the beverage alcohol industry on the distributor and supplier side. I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that world that does not get talked about because the people in it are not public figures. They're not sommeliers. They're not bartenders. They're not producers. And so they tend to be you know, they don't tend to get articles written about them because they're not well known, yet they tend to have a lot of power, a lot of unseen power in the industry. And and some mm-hmm. of it is localized within a city or a or a region, some of it is national or international. But there I think a lot there's a lot in that realm, whether it's just sort of, you know, a kind of um hiring of of a certain kind of person, um, you know, a lot of 
white men running these, you know, in very prominent positions in these uh, companies or, or, you know, other stuff happening underneath. It's just, it's harder to shine a light on because like I said, it's not really public, but it's a part of the industry that I think definitely needs some attention paid to it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Joanna. Um, Okay. So you're listening to this and we're in January and it's our mindful drinking month, but I think that we will continue to see more no and low options um, mm-hmm. into this year. I think there are more and more I, kind of a, I guess it's a counterpoint to yours, Adam, around flavors and these big like punchy flavors and like Oreo wine or whatever. But I think people care, a lot of people care about clean and natural, um, you know, additive free, those types of things. And I think that um, we'll continue to see that trend throughout this year. And, and a big part of that is, uh, you know, low ABV options or non-alcoholic options and uh, more producers, you know, coming out with them um, as extensions of their brands or more brands in general uh, launching in 2022. What do you guys think? I completely agree with that. I think that's going to (laughs) be very much something that you're going to see in 2022 for sure. Mm -hmm. Zach. Yeah. So I was going to switch gears a touch and talk about just a specific drink or category um, that I think is going to have a big year. It's certainly not exactly uh, struggling at the moment, but I think, I think 2022 is going to see a lot of excitement around Irish whiskey. Um, I think it's the one, it's the one kind of classic whiskey category that hasn't yet really been like completely poured over by collectors and obsessives. And, and part of that is because I think, I mean, A, it's because, you know, the the Irish whiskey conversation in America for so long was really dominated by Jameson Mm -hmm. um, and was thought of as, you know, shots as, you know, in very specific drinks. You know, it was not seen as as like a connoisseurs, collectors category. I think there is really exciting. There are really exciting things happening at some of the uh, either newer distilleries in Ireland or some of the older distilleries that have been sort of brought back to life or brought back to prominence. And what's cool about it to me is that Irish whiskey is distinctly its own thing. You know, it is not scotch. It's it's not single malt, but it's not bourbon. It's not rye. It's its own category with its own sort of set of flavors and inputs and styles. And I, I just think that there's, everyone is looking for in the whiskey world is looking for something new. And some of that attention has gone, of course, to other parts of the world. You know, there's exciting things happening all over the world in whiskey, but I do think that, that Ireland is, is due for a kind of moment in the sun as like, wait, this is where whiskey was born in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's where some of the best whiskey in the world is still being made. And yet the category just is not considered in the same way that bourbon or scotch or even other single malts from other parts of the world are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think with with that kind of a prediction, I see where it could – how it could happen. I think yeah. the only way that any of these other whiskeys really start to pop again is – bourbon just has to price people out even more than it already is, right? Mm-hmm. And people have to start realizing, which is very true, Zach, to your point, and I think this could happen this year, that there's just a better value, especially for quality and age, in Irish whiskey and also in scotch, to be honest, than yeah. there is right now in bourbon. What you're paying for for bourbon just is sky high compared to a lot of these other things, and it just doesn't – it doesn't start. It's starting not to really make much sense. Um, mm. Bourbon's delicious, but it's getting just really, really insane. And when you have, you know, brands that used to be classically, I don't know, entry level brands or mid level brands that are now 
selling for 10 times what they used to sell for. It's just, you know, there's got to be a point you would think that people say, huh, what other whiskey is out there? But maybe there maybe there won't be only because bourbon is so unique in its flavor profile compared to every other whiskey on the market. I, you know, I, I find Irish whiskey, especially like some of the really beautiful, uh, you know, higher end stuff tastes much more similar to, to really high end scotch. Yes, yeah. right? it's, it's hard to find that bourbon-esque and so who knows maybe a lot of irish whiskey and scotch makers are going to start chasing scotch more than they used to trying to make these fuller bodied whiskeys just because bourbon has this really weird grip on the you know the american public in a way that no other whiskey really does yeah Yeah. that's interesting so one last one i have which is i do think we're going to continue to see the explosion of agave uh even Mm -hmm. more than we have but I'm hopeful, and I think that this is going to bear out to be true, there's going to be, and I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, there's going to be more of a questioning of celebrity and, you know, et cetera, spirits, especially when it comes to agave, than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think we're starting to see consumers start to question who's behind these liquids, especially the higher end consumers, the, the, the more informed consumers. Um, you're seeing obviously bartenders have always done this, but I think that there's going to be more, you know, of a sort of public outcry, especially on, on the point of the trade saying, you know, we don't want to support these brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of consumers will start to listen because at the end of the day, consumers want to be cool, right? So yeah. if the bartenders are saying like, look, this is not a cool spirit, I think it's going to start impacting some of those spirits. And I think, you know, some of the people who are just now getting into the celebrity game will will kind of be screwed because they're, they're not established enough to sort of now sort of be seen as that tequila's always been there, mm-hmm. but they're... And Johnny completely yeah, yeah, and they're and they're too closely associated with the celebrity. So I don't know. I, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna come um, for sure, and people are gonna start looking for those tequilas that are you know truly from Mexico that have connection to the place, to the people, etc. Um, and I, and I think you're gonna see a lot of the brands that are able to do that come out with very strong, very loud marketing campaigns this year mm. about that. I have a one question for the two of you yes. before we before we go before we wrap. Before we wrap, um, what what do we think will happen with hard seltzer this year? Predictions? Mm. Oh, I've got a strong one. Okay. <laughs> you go, Adam. Go, Adam. I think it's going to continue to grow, but I think okay. you know this is where we're going to get. This is where we're going to have a disconnect between people who understand numbers and people who don't, and that's that when you have a really like hard seltzer was eye-popping in its growth because it was growing off a small base. And so when that small base has massive growth, the percentages of growth are huge. Once a category becomes mature, which is now what we see, we're seeing with Seltzer, the growth is much smaller, right? You just, year year yeah, it's, it, you just can't, you cannot continue to, you know, quadruple every <laughs> other month yeah. when you've gotten this big. So it will continue to grow. I think it's always going to be popular. I think this year, especially we'll see it continue to be popular, but it will grow off a small base. And I think it will be harder for newer brands to crack in and come into, especially that top five. I think that the, the positioning of the top brands is really solid right now. You know, mm-hmm. I think you, when you look at it, it's, it's going to continue to be truly white claw, Bud Light Seltzer, um, you know, a few others, and then high noon still continuing to hold that spirit based seltzer position, um, with others, you know, coming up, but it'll take innovation for other people to kind of crack into that area, whether that's going to be long drink or, you know, what that looks like in the future, but it's the the category is here to stay. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
you will see people who see small growth and say, oh, it's fizzling just like they did this year. And that's mm-hmm. just because they don't understand math. Um, <laughs> seriously. I mean, like, there are people who don't understand math out there, Adam. I, I refuse to believe this. You know, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's also because there's a desire to, to try to say that this category is dying yeah. when it's not. And I think it's because it just feels like such a crazy thing to become so popular so fast. And we want to see it as a fad, but it really isn't. It's just mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I largely agree. I think one additional point I would make is that it, it this is kind of a half-ass predi- prediction, so I apologize. But I think we will know a lot more in a year's time about whether, mm-hmm. if there is space for other players in the hard seltzer game, if it is going to come from what we saw a lot of in 2021, which is like established beverage alcohol brand trying to turn Do its brand own. into yeah, seltzer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, Corona, Topo Chico, right. you know, whatever, right? Like, is that the way in? Is it is it that method? Or is it like we are just launching a totally new brand with some additional selling point? And where I keep coming back to is like, are we going to see one of the huge, you know, basically Coke or Pepsi take oh, a yeah. real swing at this category? Um, I th- we, There have been lots of inclination or sort of intimations in 2021 that they're looking to. There's like a Mountain Dew hard seltzer, I believe, that's in the works. I don't think it's actually on the market yet. Um, if that becomes a thing that is real, that's maybe the only kind of uh, entry into the category that I could see potentially shaking up the existing hierarchy because it would have the marketing heft and potentially the flavor options behind it that might be appealing to people. I, I just don't think someone's going to crack into the top of the market with another, you know, f- another fruit combination that suddenly is like the thing. I mean, maybe it gets 8% of the market, which is kind of where like fifth place, you know, fourth, fifth place are playing right now. But I just, I, to me, it's like you, you're, you know, White Claw and to a lesser extent truly are so established and entrenched and have shown such an ability to kind of, you know, um, be chameleon-like and, and, and morph to meet the shifting demands, whether it's, you know, new flavors, new formats, higher ABV, whatever. Like there's just a lot of room for them to be flexible because the brand identity is, uh, or the brand loyalty is so strong that I just, it's hard for me to see someone really cracking in. But I agree that we are at a point now, which is much more like slow growth and consolidation than anything rapid. Yeah. I think, I think mm-hmm. Hard Seltzer has reached about the size that it's likely to reach because, you know, it's already gotten huge. And, and you know, they're, they've taken a lot of the casual drinker away from certain other categories. I don't know that there's a huge untapped market in this country, at least for Hard Seltzer. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Totally true. All right. Well, Joanna... Zach, I wish you guys a happy new year for those listening to the podcast today. Happy new year already. Um, (laughs) And we will connect in the new year for the Friday episode. Sounds great. Sure does. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.